we'll, we'll actually, we've taken five weeks, I think, to go through chapter one, and we'll do chapter through two all in one night tonight. So we'll be going till midnight, but we're going to get through it, okay? So it'll be good. Um, 1,625 pounds. That's what a yo-yo weighs, in case anybody missed it earlier. He never told us. I know you were sitting on the edge of your seat like I was, what the heaviest yo-yo was, but that's what it is. So now we can all relax. Jonah chapter 2. We see in this chapter the conduct of Jonah starts to improve vastly. Uh, He obviously started out really bad. He was blatantly running away from God, from the obedience. He was uh, uh, the only man on board the ship here that was not praying during a crisis. So he wasn't living as a Christian ought to live. He was the cause of the storm uh, that was bringing all the trouble to the men on the ship. But he starts to improve his behavior when the sailors throw him overboard. Uh, This self-improvement continues as he starts into a fervent prayer meeting while he's in the fish. Um, So that's what we're going to get into tonight. In his praying, he agrees with God, he submits to God, and he honors God, and that kind of praying always gets results. So I want to break this down this evening, and uh, we'll run through it. Let's look at verse number one. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly, and he said, I cried by reason of my infliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Thou hadest me cast into the deep and in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about, all the billows, all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy set sight, yet will I look again toward thy holy temple. The waters come past me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about, the weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottom of the mountains, the earth and her bars was about me forever, yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, my prayer came in unto thee, thine holy temple." They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed salvation is of the Lord. The Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Father, I pray you'd help us to use this prayer of Jonah's to challenge us in some specific ways. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So for a while, Jonah was allowed to reap what he had sowed. Of course, we understand the law of the harvest is always that. We will reap what we sow. And he had rejoiced at the thought of God's judgment being poured out on Nineveh. He had run from the opportunity, giving them an opportunity to repent. And now, guess whose God's judgment is flowing out on now? It's on him. So he's, he's being judged and he's finding out what it's like to be under God's judgment. Let's look at the motivation of his prayer here. Verse number four, there's several motivations that we see. The first is the rod of God. I cried by reason of mine affliction. He was being afflicted for God, by God for his sin, and he knew it clearly, so he cried to God for mercy. That's a good thing for us to do when we're in trouble, even if we're in trouble of our own making. It's a good thing to cry out to the Lord. J.R. Thompson said, trouble is not designed to lead people to cry against the Lord, but unto the Lord. And when we are in trouble, that's where we ought to go. Chastisement for disobedience is meant for our own good. It's not uh, simply a punishment, but it's to get us back to where we need to be for the Lord. Proverbs 3.11 tells us, For that reason, despise not the chastening of the Lord, 
what neither be weary of his correction correction. So Jonah did not despise his his chastening here. He never said he did anyway. He submitted to it. Now we can say he didn't have a choice. He's in a situation, what else is he going to do but pray? Well, he could get angry. Some people don't respond well to the chastening of the Lord. Some people get mad. Some people get bitter. Some people, instead of praying, they curse. Uh, but Jonah prayed. And so that's a good thing that he did that. Uh, many, many of us get angry and pout in times of trouble. And uh, we need to look to God in those times like Jonah did. But notice that he saw God as the cause of his problems. Thou hast cast me into deep, the deep. And in verse 3, all thy billows and thy waves have passed over me. He saw past the secondary cause of his experience to the primary cause. He knew that God had designed this situation for him here. It wasn't the sailors, even though they physically threw Jonah in the sea. Jonah understood that it was God that got him here because of his disobedience. So ultimately it was he that got himself in his trouble. But it was God's billows and God's waves there. If we would understand and recognize the hand of God in the events of life, I think there would be a lot more turning back to God. Uh, boy, do we see a lack of the fear of God in our society today. Even in our churches, people just don't fear God, live how they want to and don't have that fear that they need to have. And again, the rod of God is not meant to be only punishing, but to be corrective, to get us back to where we need to be. And uh, Jonah paid attention to his affliction, which caused him to turn to God in prayer. In other words, it had the right effect. And can I say, would to God that our affliction would always drive us to the throne of God, always drive us to the Lord where, where we ought to be there. And uh, it's interesting, too, here to see that the way Jonah was chastened was in the same fashion in, that he had sinned. This happens sometimes. Remember, well, look at verse 4. I am cast out of thy sight. Remember what Jonah was doing in the very first part of chapter 1? Running from the presence of the Lord. And now, all of a sudden, he doesn't want to be out of the sight of God. Thou hast cast me out of thy sight. He, God didn't, but he could have said, that's what you wanted in the first place. You wanted to be away from my sight. So he wanted. now he feels cast out. He senses the pain of being separated from God, and he doesn't like it at all, but he had sown the seeds, and now he's reaping the crop. Joseph B. Owen said, It is useful to consider what it was that cast you out of God's sight so that you may cast that out of your sight. What is it that's getting between us and our Lord? That's, that ought to be removed. Of course, ultimately, that's an idol, and it should be gone. Jonah's chastening fit his sin, and he recognized it. Also, what drove him to prayer is the rescue by God here. Verse 4, look what it says. Then I said, I'm cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. This shows us another reason that he prayed. It centers around the temple. What was it about the temple that kept Jonah from giving up? It's interesting that he mentions a temple while he's in this situation. Uh, the temple, I believe, with its sacrifices and its offerings, spoke of God's willingness to be reconciled to man. It was a place where sins would be forgiven, where sins would be atoned for. The temple was where the mercy seat was, where the blood of the sacrificed animals were sprinkled on that. It was the symbol of Jehovah or God's forgiveness. So Jonah's, obviously the temple is going to be an important part. of. He, he's talking about forgiveness here. He's talking about uh, being restored to the Lord. He knows he doesn't deserve 
help from God at all because it's him that put himself in this position. And he knows he's cast out of, uh, God's cast him out because of his sin, but he still prayed and he mentioned the temple because that represent God's mercy and gave him great encouragement. What a picture of the sinner today when it comes to church and uh, the, the God's house today. We ought, to, we ought to be a place in this church that sinners run to, not run from. Amen? The church ought to... And I talk to people all the time as I invite them, and, and you, you probably do too if you invite people to church, and, oh, the doors would... Uh, the roof would collapse if I walked into the church. How many of you ever heard that from somebody before? Uh, I hear that a lot. And uh, somehow... They're not good enough to come. And it's ridiculous. I always, add, I always go to the doctor illustration. Do you go to the doctor only when you're well? Or do you go when you're sick? You don't go when you're well. You go when you're sick. And, and if, 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 you're, if you've got problems and sin in your life, that's the time you ought to go to church the most. And so this is a, the church ought to encourage people to get right with God, not be a place of condemnation. I like this quote. I don't know who made it, but discouraged uh, a church ought to be a place where discouraged people cheer up, dishonest people pay up, sour people sweeten up, closed people open up, gossiping people shut up, angry, angry people make up, sleeping people wake up, lukewarm people fire up, dry bones shake up, and pew warmers stand up. But most of all, it ought to be a place where Christ is lifted up. That's pretty good, isn't it? We, we should be that kind of place that be... a uh, where sinners come to get right with God. And that's what Jonah was doing here. He's talking about his temple. He's praying, he's, putting, he's looking toward the temple, figuratively speaking, because he knows that's where the mercy is. And he needs mercy right now. He doesn't need justice, he needs mercy. Exactly what we need as well. And then the remembrance of God. Look at what he says in verse 7. Jonah says, I remember the Lord and my prayer came in unto thee. When we think on the Lord, we'll be inspired to pray because of who He is and what He has done for us. People who keep God out of their thoughts won't do much praying. You don't write a letter to people you never think about. Okay, If, you're not, if, if uh, He's not on your mind, you're not going to be praying as you should. So thankfully for Jonah, he did not forget God. And when he remembered God, he prayed. Moses said this in Deuteronomy 6.12, Beware lest thou forget the Lord. That's an interesting warning, isn't it? To God's people. But we do forget the Lord, especially when things are good. Everything's going as it should, and everything's uh, got the bills are paid, and there's money in our pocket, and things are going well, everybody's healthy, car's working, and weather's nice. We can forget the Lord very quickly. And so that's what Moses said. We need to be careful. By the way, the forgetting of God is not a biological memory loss. It's a spiritually closed door in our life. That's what he's talking about. Not, not that we'll... He'll slip our mind. He's talking about the fact that we are choosing to live independently of him, uh, forgetting him in that way, shutting him out. It's the worst kind of forgetfulness because it hinders not only our praying, it also kills our obedience, and it puts us in a whole lot of trouble with no way out like Jonah was in in our situation here. So read his word, attend church, uh, pray, do those things, and it'll keep you close, and it'll keep you in the right place in your life. Jonah had his problems. But remembering God kept him from total despair, even in the position he was at, which we'll get to in a minute. Then look at the steadfastness. His situation, <laughs> that he was steadfast in his prayer and his pursuit of deliverance here. Joseph, 
Excel said this, seldom have men anywhere been called to combat with circumstances more trying than Jonah. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I can't think of ever having been in a place that bad, and I, probably none of us have. In a body of a fish in the bottom of the sea, there's no, there's no escape hatch, okay? There's no way you can escape. It's all on God at this point. Uh, Hugh Martin said, was ever a case so fitted to call forth utter despair? And no, there probably wasn't, and yet he didn't have utter despair. He was still praying out to God. He did not let his impossible circumstances stop his praying. And this is an excellent example of faith on Jonah's part. Faith that overcomes the apparently impossible. J. Edgar Hoover, I don't quote him often, but I like this statement he made. The spectacle of a nation praying is more awe-inspiring than the explosion of the atomic bomb. The force of prayer is greater than any possible combination of man-made or man-controlled powers because prayer is man's greatest means of tapping the infinite resources of God. Invoking by prayer and mercy, the might of God is our most effective means of guaranteeing peace and security for the harassed and helpless peoples of the earth. That's a pretty powerful statement. And I do agree with it. How easily, though, we give up on prayer when the circumstances become negative or difficult. Uh, Billy Graham said, if you don't feel like praying, that's a great sign that it's time to start praying. <laughs> uh, because that's the time we need it the most. So Jesus said, if we had the faith, the grain of a mustard seed. Remember what he said? We could remove mountains. And most, many of us don't have enough faith to move a molehill, much less a mountain. But it's available to us. And uh, Jonah had some faith here. Jonah's dedication is seen, I am cast out of thy sight, yet will I look again toward thy holy temple. That word yet says it all. He's not going to give up even though he feels he's cast out of God's sight. Jonah's yet there is like Peter's nevertheless in the New Testament. We find in Luke 5, they'd been fishing all night. Him and his buddies had been uh, fishing. They had caught nothing. Uh, so they were now cleaning their nets, and then Jesus shows up on the scene and says, launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a draught, Luke 5, 4. I remember Peter, I, we, we talked about this before, but um, he would have been super annoyed. I mean, they're tired. You ever, you ever worked all night, and in the morning, you are not happy. I, I don't know if you're like that, but thinking of one thing, and that's bed. You're not thinking of going out fishing again. Jesus said, go out again, so... They didn't want to do it, but this is what he said. We have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll let down the net. And because of his nevertheless, he got a great haul. Because Jonah said, hey, I've been cast out. I understand. I don't deserve anything. Yet I'll look again to the temple. Uh, because of this yet, because of the nevertheless. And we, we need more yets and neverthelesses in our prayer life today. When it seems impossible, and this is essentially what what it's saying, I don't feel like it's impossible, impossible at all. I feel it is completely impossible, yet I will pray. Nevertheless, I'll do what you want me to do. Jonah's faith was so great, by the way, in his prayer. This is, this is another fascinating thing. I read this twice, and you can read it too, and you won't find a single request if you, if you, read, if, if you read this. And not one place does Jonah say, please get me out of here. He's, I think that's fascinating. 
Because if anyone had the right or the inclination to ask for deliverance, this is a time for it, but he doesn't. He never asked. And I believe his need was pretty desperate, but this is an incredible thing to notice in his situation because so often in our situation, our prayers are incredibly selfish. They're very uh, self-centered and and, uh, we need to work on that. His prayer in the fish is basically one of uh, the testimonies about the working of God. And it's almost as if Jonah is thanking God in advance. Again, this speaks to his faith. What if we prayed with a faith like that? Do we really believe our prayers have power? I mean, really. Do we believe that there's power in prayer? I read this story when a nightclub opened up on a main street in an American town, small American town years ago. The local church in that town held an all-night prayer meeting that somehow God would keep this nightclub from being opened up in their town. One member, as he was praying, prayed publicly that God would burn the building to the ground, that he would burn it to the ground. That very night, lightning struck the club and it burned to the ground. So the owner of the club, having heard about this, sued the church because he felt it was their fault because they prayed for it to be burned down. And the church, of course, denied all responsibility. So the judge in court made this statement. It seems that wherever the guilt may lie, that the nightclub owner believes in the power of prayer, while the church does not. Because they say, wasn't us. He says, it was you, you prayed. So maybe he believed a little more than they did. But there's power in prayer. And we need to recognize that. God has done so much for us in the past that it should behoove us to pray always in the future. Trust Him so much that our petitions take on the form of praise. You catch that? I mean, we're, we're asking, but we're, we're basically thanking Him that He'll bring it to pass. That's the kind of faith that He had. Jonah could have done many other things than, die, uh, than pray. Um, he could have done what Job's wife told him to do, curse God and die. could have done that, uh, but he chose to pray. When we think of Jonah, we seldom think about a man of great faith, but, but he really was, and we see it here. Um, Jonah had everything against him. His behavior had been bad, and then his circumstances become impossible. But he still clings steadfastly to the Lord, and in the end got his blessing. Jonah's faith encourages us never to let go of God, no matter what the situation is, no matter how impossible our circumstances are. If Jonah can be delivered, uh, you better believe that we can too if we simply cling to God as steadfastly as he did. So when you read Jonah, I, again, we're going to get back into, the, into how rotten of a jerk he was later, but there is a bright moment here. He has a lot of faith here. He approaches this part right, and uh, it can be a lesson for us. Let's look finally at the sanction of his prayer. Unapproved prayers are a waste of time. Would you agree with that? Uh, in discipleship, we, in our lesson about prayer, we go through a whole list of things that hinder our prayers. And there's some surprising things on that list, but there's all kinds of things in the Bible that talk about that hinder our prayers. Uh, much of our lack of success in praying, though, is because we don't pray according to God's will. James chapter 4, verse 3 tells us that. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. All right, you're asking for something outside of God's will, or you're asking for something that's not necessarily good for you. My uh, 
son likes Lamborghinis. He always sees it whenever we're out, rarely around here, but once in a while we'll see a Lamborghini. He sees him right off. If he asks me for a Lamborghini when he gets his license, probably not going to happen. It's, it's, that's asking a miss, isn't it? I mean, it's, it, it's not a legit request. And sometimes we do that spiritually as well. We're asking for things that are going to eventually, that could be harmful for us, could not be good for us. God knows better than we do. Let's trust him for it. Uh, so one way that we can improve our prayers is to uh, fill them or, or align them with Scripture, align them with God's will. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And so aligning our prayers to God's will uh, ensures that he will answer them. And Jonah did this. In fact, I, I've got, I, I listed all of them. I can't go through all of them. There's, there's all throughout here. But I want to just give you a couple examples where he quoted or alluded to passages, and it shows how well Jonah, he, he's ba- praying biblically, and this helps us. Look at verse 2. I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Compare that to Psalm 120, verse 1. In my distress I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Verse 3. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Psalm 42, 7. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Verse 3, thy floods compassed me about. Psalm 18, 4, the floods of the ungodly men made me afraid. Verse 4 says, I, am, I said I am cast out of thy sight. Psalm 31, 22, I said in my haste I am cut off from before thine eyes. Verse 5, the waters compassed me about even to the soul. Uh, Psalm 69, 1, the waters are come in unto my soul. That's only half of them. There's, there's, there's more of them too. Uh, but he's... It's interesting how he's quoting scripture, he's praying, he's understanding his situation, he's, he's also recognizing that he's at fault. He never blames God for it. He understands and, and uh, the, the, who the problem is. So the world has its slogans, its phrases, its philosophies, and it gets incorporated into our speech, our lifestyles. Too often when Christians pray, they sound like the world in their speech, their behavior and all that. And no wonder our prayers are an abomination to the Lord. We ought to align them with Scripture the way that Jonah did here. And uh, he, he was using not only the wording of Scripture, but the ideas and aligning his will with God's will. When the philosophies and promises of the Word of God guide our prayers, we're going to experience some answers. And what do I mean by that, practically speaking? If we ask uh, God, uh, does let's just pick on some practical areas. Does God want to want us to have a good marriage? Yeah. So when we pray for God to help us treat our spouse right and, and live right and uh, help, you know, help our marriage to be strong, though that's aligning with his will. Does God want us to witness to others? Yes. So when we ask him to bring somebody across our path that we can speak to, that aligns with his will. Those are the type of prayers that he answers. And, and uh, then, of course, uh, praying for our personal needs and all, that's good too, but always... We always ought to leave that, uh, you know, if it be your will, Lord, the way James says as well. If it's, if it's your will, let this happen. Uh, some of God's greatest blessings in your life are unanswered prayers, things he said no to. And later you can look back and say, whew, dodged a bullet on that one. But see, God knew that, and we didn't. Why not trust someone who knows our future as well as our past and our present? All we have is our past and our present. Look at what Jonah then says. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Jonah's vanity was his self-will. 
refusing to be a channel of mercy for Nineveh. So he'd been chasing his own way, and in so doing, he was forsaking his own mercy. As long as he was under God's judgment, what did he need more than anything? He needed God's mercy. And where, uh, when Jonah could see that his sinful pride and self-will had brought him to this point, then he could repent. And in that dark, dank, no doubt, stanky prison, he repented with his almost dying breath. He acknowledged his sin. Look at verse 9. I will pay that I have vowed. Now, what's that about? What, what did he vow? Well, we can kind of make an assumption that sometime in... Obviously, this probably wasn't every word that he said. I mean, he's in there three days, and it takes us, what, two minutes to read this, so he's probably prayed a lot more than just what's in here. But uh, at some point, he probably said, Lord, if you get me out of this fish... I'll go to Nineveh. I'll preach and I'll do what you told me to do. I will do what I'm supposed, I will get right with you. I will, and he, you know, we do that, don't we? If you get me out of this mess, I will go to Africa for the rest of my life and I'll marry a woman with a monkey on her head. I'll do whatever you want me to do, Lord, you know. And so we, we make all kinds of promises. I, I, we, I remember doing that when I was young many times as a teenager, you know. If you let me pass this test, I'm, my whole life I was ready to commit for one little thing. And I think that's the vow it's talking about here. Jonah made a vow to God, you get me out of here, I'll do anything you want me to do. Now, to Jonah's credit, he kept his word, and he did go to Nineveh when the Lord told him to go a second time. He came to the place of surrender and of obedience to the Lord that happened after repentance in his life. And uh, my challenge to you tonight, as looking at this whole story and this prayer, let us not wait until we're in the belly of a fish to get right with God. You know, that's the, that's the takeaway we should take from this. Um, God can get us to the point where we're going to get right with him. I mean, he does not have a problem setting up a fish for you. And I'm figuratively speaking, obviously. But he doesn't have a problem putting you in a position. Jonah thought everything was going hunky-dory. He's on a ship. He's headed to the opposite way of Nineveh. He's going to get away from God. He's going to do his own thing. And he finds himself in the belly of a fish. And all he's got is giving himself total surrender to the Lord. We can do that without getting swallowed by a fish. Jonah could have done that without going to all this trouble and uh, being in this mess. Well, you know, it just depends on our obedience. It depends on our sensitivity and our yieldedness to the Lord. So let's make that happen. Father, we